0: So uh, those of you that brought your Bibles, I hope you did. Uh, We are going to read uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, that you who judge those practicing such things and then doing the same that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first And also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. May God bless the reading of His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to your Word now, that you'd give us understanding, spiritual understanding, for we know it is a closed book except to those who know and honor the name of Christ. So bless this teaching now. Bless the speaking of it and the hearing of it and the doing of it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, the first verse in this Romans passage says, You are inexcusable, O oh man. And isn't it true that we are so good ex- at excuses? From the time we're little children and those silly little things like the dog ate it and this or that, outrageous excuses, things as teenagers. That uh, frankly, that we were old enough then to uh, practice sin, but not sharp enough to give very good excuses, right? And uh, and so, uh, how many times does can a car run out of gas, you know, and and, uh, excuses for your lateness or wherever you're supposed to be or whatever you're supposed to have done? Well, uh, I thought it would be kind of fun uh, that we would look at a top ten list, and I thought of different sources for a top ten list. Uh, I looked at things that kids have said and funny things that have happened there. Um, But I remember, uh, the the, uh, I think it was the Tonight Show with Letterman, right? And Letterman actually started that top 10 list. And I always kind of liked those. So we came up tonight with a top 10 list of excuses only given by Bible characters that we know. So we're going to put up an excuse. There's going to be a drum roll. This is kind of like a game show, but we're not giving away a washer and dryer set or a car, or a trip to Hawaii. But I want to hear you guys say the name of the person who gave this excuse. And really, we should know all these. They're pretty easy. But when you look at them by themselves, they're the lamest of excuses. And you can probably guess in Genesis where the first ones start. But wait until we put them up. Okay, starting with number 10, we're going to roll down to number 1. All right, number 10. The snake made me eat. do it. Uh Uh-oh, we got the name up there already. Maybe I'll just read them. That name was not supposed to be up there. So I tell you what I'm gonna do. Well, the answer is who? Eve. Eve. All right. Okay. So when I hit the next one, give me a drum roll. Okay. Don't put any more up because we're giving away the answers. All right. Good thing I have this written here. You should get this one. All right, drum roll. (laughs) The woman who you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate it. Who said that? (laughs) Okay. Ah. Yeah. All right, number eight. I would have died if I hadn't eaten some of this red stuff. Who is it? Someone said that. Who? Yeah. Esau, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Very good. All right, number seven. Boy. The rivers way back home are much cleaner than this muddy river. What is it? Who said that one? Uh, uh, huh? Who? What's that up there? You- <laughs> Jason, give us a chance here. Who said it? And you, Naaman, right? Naaman, good. Yeah, he had he had come to uh, uh, to get cleansed of his leprosy. All right. Here's a this one that might be a little harder. Number six. My family ain't much to speak of, and I'm the least of the family. Who might that be? He's being called to lead Israel in battle. Who? No. My family ain't much. By the way, I'm paraphrasing some of these scriptures here. Uh, Pardon me, Lord, he replied. I'm not going to give his name. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And his name is? Gideon. Gideon. You got it. Okay, good job. All right, again, I'm going to paraphrase it, and then I'll give you the whole verse, unless you can catch it quickly. Number five. I don't speak so good. Send somebody else. Moses, good job. And Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Number four. It's only a few bleeding animals. I'll give you a little more. The actual verse. They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep in auction to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we destroyed. But we saved the best. Who? Saul. Saul, That's right. (laughs) Yeah, that didn't go so good for him. Okay, this one's hard, but I'll give you just a quickie first. I'm too young. young. Don't we use excuses like that? I'm too young, some of you. I'm too old. I don't have a degree in the Bible. I can't preach, right? I'll give you the whole verse. Behold, oh God, I, I cannot speak for I am but a youth. He ended up getting thrown in a pit. He was... Jeremiah, good job. You got it. Number two. Now, this was kind of a a, a metaphor that Jesus uh, talked about, but I still want want you to identify who this kind of person is. Um, I cannot go, Lord. I've got to bury my father first. Who taught this, and what was it about? What was he called to do? I have married a wife. I need to bury my father. I bought an oxen. I need to go try it these are excuses for what? Not a person necessarily. That's right. That's right. Reasons not to serve the Lord. That's exactly it. Okay. This is a pretty good one. And the number one lame excuse in all the Bible is, hey, all I did was throw this gold into the fire and out came this golden calf. Aaron, very good. All right. Good job. Give yourselves a round of applause. (laughs) thank you jason thank you i appreciate it but nothing's really changed has it for thousands of years we we come up with uh, lame excuses and um you know this is all well and good and it's fun to talk about how lame excuses are and probably in your life you've both given and heard some pretty dumb excuses But we need to also understand that this is a very, very serious warning because the Scripture says, you are inexcusable, old man. And what I want you to recognize as we go through these 11 verses is that it moves back and forth talking to, well, first of all, as the overall umbrella, this is an address to the church. So it might be that Paul would be addressing us right here tonight. And so it is church membership not necessarily Christians, not necessarily born-again people. It's church membership. And in this addressing, in these 11 verses, Paul is, moves back and forth from addressing those in the church who are good church people but have never really given their lives to Christ. And those people who are godly church people who have given their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. And you can kind of identify that. You could even mark it in these verses as you see it. So to fully understand, too, when you address an excuse, is it not so that the, in, in the giving of the excuse that you are raising yourself up to a position of authority? If you say to your teacher, well, I just didn't have the time because my parents did such and such, you are now placing yourself on an equality with that judge. Or if you say then that this excuse should then have merit it was okay for me to do this thing, right? You're actually raising yourself above the level of that judge. Would not that have to be true? And in the case of God, when you make an excuse to God for something you've done that you know better, this is okay, God. You know, we have young folks come into our church office wanting to get married, and they're living together. And uh, they'll say, we know it's okay because God knows that in our hearts we're married and that we really love each other. But God doesn't contradict his word, and so that can't possibly be true. But you see, they're giving an excuse. Since we love each other, this is okay. And in most of our lives, I suppose that we could uh, think that there has been times in our lives when we have made equally dumb excuses before God for behavior that is not godly. Now, the verse starts off with, Therefore you have no excuse, O man. So we need to understand, which has been said by many better Bible teachers than me, what is therefore there for? It's there because it's referring to the verses right above. Those verses right above are the things that define, for the most part, the totality of someone who is not following Jesus. So let's do a quick review of that. In the verses right before that, it says these things. It's, we'll call this the sin list, okay? debased mind, unrighteousness, sexually immoral, wickedness, covetous, malicious, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil mind, whisperer, backbiter, hater of God, violent, proud, boaster, inventor of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, we're going to come back to that one, that's interesting, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, knowing what God judges but approving to have others uh, t- that it's okay for others to do it basically so that's quite a list now uh when we're reading this list we could be inclined to incorrectly to say oh that's not me i don't have that or that one you know got it got it need it i that's not me that's not nope haven't done that and these verses in romans are talking about judgment you're either under judgment or outside of judgment Since it's written down for us to read tonight, since I just read it, it's now up to us what to do with it. This may seem a little simplistic, but it's critically important, maybe even eternally important. You are supposed to then judge that. You are supposed to judge that on your neighbor. Well, it's going to be talking about that in a minute. But no, not on your neighbor, on you. And so as you read that, you should really be saying, yeah, that's me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe not today, probably some of it today. Nope, you shouldn't say, nope, that's not me, not me, not me. In fact, for the most part, would it not be true, would it not be true in your life that this list applies to each of us? That is us. If you're applying this to that other group of people in your lives, you're on the wrong side of judgment. You are called to judge. And we're going to talk about how judgment uh, works in just a minute. You are called to judge, first of all, you. You, right? Remember what your mom used to say when you point one finger out? There's several others pointing back at you. But this is the truth of it. In regards to judgment, it's very critical that judgment begin right here with us. Of course, we're in an age where uh, you know our kids get a participation trophy for playing some game. And that we uh, want to be... Uh, uh, I'm a basically a good person, right? My mom used to say that all the time. I'd say, Mom, have you ever accepted Jesus? She says, Well, I, I, I'm basically a good person. My mom worked for the Los Angeles mob, for Nick Lakata. He was the head of the LA mob in the early 50s. And she said to me, I'm mostly a good person. In the last years of her life, she went to church with me. And um, you can only imagine that I had a colorful childhood. Can you maybe put some of that together? But my mom by then was elderly, and so she thought that since she no longer could do the many things that were shockingly sinful, she scored big in these, this list. Um, that she was clear of it. You're not. You're responsible for every single moment of your life. As such, as you look at this list, it should drive you to your knees saying, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner, Right? We do not have self-righteousness. Our righteousness belongs only in Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.17, and forgive me, uh, Bethany, I I didn't give you all these scriptures, I don't think. Uh, Revelation uh, 3.17 says, Because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? Um, Now, let me be clear. I am not saying here that we should flag ourselves, that we should bloody our knees on the steps of the church. There was an early heresy in the church called asceticism. And the basic belief was that if you beat yourself up enough, that it would please God and you'd go to heaven. I mean, that's the short of it. So you might wear scratchy clothes. Ever wear a a wool sweater? Anybody give you a wool sweater? They feel awful. Cashmere, nice. Wool, not so much. And they would starve themselves, and they would literally beat themselves with uh, whips. Uh, that's asceticism, and that's not what we're talking about here. So, um, and, and interesting, Paul is probably the best test case for this because Paul, on the one hand, was very humble. Paul said in Ephesians 3, eight, arguably the best of all the apostles, right? I think so. He said, To me who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he was a murderer. He was a, a Pharisee. He was the worst of the worst when it came to Jesus Christ. But then in Second Corinthians 7, 4, he says something that seems to contradict this. He says... Great is my boldness in speech toward you, great is my glory of you. I am filled with comfort, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. So on the one hand, he recognized that he was a wretched sinner. Can you see this? But on the other th- hand, he had this great boldness and power and joy in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3:12 says, "In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him." So while we recognize that we're a bunch of wretched, poor, blind, and naked sinners outside of Christ, we have great boldness to, uh, address, to approach the throne of God. You know in, in the Old Testament uh, that if you w- went into the Holy of Holies at the wrong moment, uh, I need some, you know, our clock is down, isn't it? I better turn this on or I might preach for two hours. So I know you don't want that. I'll turn it back on. Um, to walk into the presence of God unless you were the, the high priest you'd be struck down dead immediately and yet we can boldly now enter because our problem with sin has been redeemed right? so it's kind of a hard thing to comprehend on the other. on one hand we are humble before God we know we're wretched sinners you know sometimes people think and this is a problem in our church um, I was reading some some of the old preachers and um, that uh, talk about this and they uh, say that one in particular, whose name fails me right now, said, if you've been walking with Jesus Christ for 50 years, you are in danger if you think that in this, this passing of time, this growth of Jesus Christ, this working of the Holy Spirit in you through various means has brought you anywhere away from your wretchedness without the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that can happen. Can you see how that can happen? Well, you know, I've been walking with Jesus low these many years, right? I'm a pretty good guy now. No, you're not. You're not a pretty good guy now. You're just the biggest stinker as you ever were on the first day that you accepted Christ. Without the blood of Christ, you have not advanced one little bit. If you could live for 5,000 years, you'd still be a wretched stinker, wouldn't you? Right, Dean? Amen. And some of you can say amen, by the way. That's allowed. Remember, this is Paul. He's a steely-eyed, preaching monster man. Yet everywhere Paul went, there w- was either riots or revivals. I think in these last days now, we need to be more like that, don't we? Time is running out. Let's go start some riots. The, uh, the uh, orange uh, gathering is going to be happening pretty soon, the street fair. Might be a good time. Now, I'm not suggesting we start riots, but people got pretty upset with Paul. You know, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time you went to that dad, to that son, to that daughter, to that ex-spouse. And say, you know what? I don't know whether you like me or not, but you need Jesus Christ. Time is running out. Paul said in uh, Philippians 3.3, For we are the circumcision, that's the Jews, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, for we have no confidence in the flesh. So no matter how far we go, we never have confidence in the, in the flesh. The judgment of God is according to truth, it says in verse uh, 2, to those who practice such things. Truth is not an opinion. It's not my opinion. It's not yours. Jesus proclaimed, I am truth, and without Jesus, there is no truth. Continuing in verse 3, it says, And do you think, O man, that those who practice such things and then do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? You see, this is the group who has not come to Christ. They're in church. They're in church judging but they haven't judged the correct person, which is themselves. When we review this list of sin and judge ourselves as innocent, we have failed the test of being born again. If we turn this list toward others, in so doing, we reveal that we are still under the judgment of God. Perhaps this is one of the reasons that our modern church is so weak and so frail. When we put on the cloak of judge, we commit blasphemy. Because that judge only belongs to Jesus. In 1 Peter 4.17 it says just that. For the time has come for the judgment of God to begin at the house of God. That's us. And if it begins there first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the voice of God? Now there is one who does go around judging. And he's an evil one. He is the devil himself. Revelation 12.10 tells us that. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength, the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them day and night before our God has been cast down. You don't want to be that guy. So what do we do? We don't want to be on the wrong side of this judgment thing. We want to judge ourselves as in need of a savior. Stand in that blood. Stand in confidence and in boldness, as did Paul, in that blood. But outside that, we know, one inch outside that, whether you know Jesus for a week, for 50 years, you're under judgment. Not a good place to be. Verse 4 tells us, We despise God and the righteousness of God's goodness and forbearance and suffering when we fail to judge ourselves and turn that judgment on others. It reveals the man or woman who does this has a hard and impenitent heart. That's an unredeemed heart. It says then in verse 5 that this person remains under God's judgment and will suffer the wrath of God. Then in verse 7 we switch back to those who have been judged themselves judged themselves, and, are, and uh, have become born again and have received the mercy and grace of God. Well, If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And as such, you have the responsibility to discern. Remember when I went through that list earlier, I talked about discernment. It's interesting, undeserving. It's listed with murder and sexual immorality. You know, if I shout at you, you're a murderer. You're a filthy, sexual, immoral immoral person. But if I shout at you, you're not, you're not discerning. You're not probably, <laughs> doesn't seem like much of an insult, does it? But um, it's critical to Scripture. It gives us the ability to, to tell good from evil, doesn't it? Now, some people say, well, don't judge me. We've heard this a lot. You have no right to judge me. Well, that's true. God will judge them. But if you don't speak the truth to them, if you're not discerning to tell that it's wrong to kill your baby, if you're not discerning enough, to recognize that there are not 77 different sexual orientations. I can't even imagine what those are. I've not looked, but that's what they report, right? You do have the right to discern that this is wrong. God alone judges, not us. However, we have a responsibility to understand what is good and what is evil. And if we don't, the Bible will condemn us. Ezekiel. 320 says, if righteous people turn away from their righteous behavior and ignore the obstacles I put in their way, they will die. And if you do not warn them, they will die in their sins, none of their righteous acts will be remembered, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. If we fail to warn to discern what the Bible says, their blood is on our hands. Your moms, your dads, your children, your neighbors, blood is on your hands. If we don't Warn them we're not discerning and we fall under God's judgment. We express our gratitude and humility by making this warning that it's only by the grace and blood of Jesus Christ that I have avoided judgment. Our mission, if we are Christians, is to be Christ-like, to exhibit His loving goodness and patience as it was given to us, right? I've got to admit that when I see the news, the politicians, liars on both sides of the aisle who call good evil and evil good, I struggle with anger. I have to gulp it down. I want to get angry. I know so many people right now, so many people I care about and love, that are standing on the open jaws of hell. Hell is not an idea. It's real. And we must, we must be saved, and they must too. And you and I are alone are entrusted with this message. We alone are entrusted with this message on how to warn them, how to discern what is happening here. It is happening. Can you not tell? Are you not stirred? Do you not see that this is not like any other time in history? The signs are all there. We can't give excuses that we haven't seen them. We must discern and warn them. And if we are still under judgment ourselves here tonight or anyone hearing my voice, you need to get right with Jesus right away. Time is running out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you warned us, so much that you gave your son and that you gave it all through him. Every drop of blood, every whip that hit his body, for no reason whatsoever, he was just, he was righteous, and yet he paid for all our unrighteousness. We must know that, and if we know it, we must proclaim it. Oh, Holy Spirit, fall on us tonight as we end this service that we would know it and proclaim it. In Jesus' name, amen. It's your job to proclaim it. God is indeed so good. Time is running out. If you stand in the way of judgment still, come up tonight, we'll pray with you. If you need prayer for someone who's still standing in that judgment, come up tonight, we'll pray for them as well. In the meantime, go with God and go give them heaven. God bless you.